Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hello, Stephen. Hey, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. I'm glad that you're you're here with me. Mike was a very lovely co-host, and he's yes. a special friend. But uh, but you know, it's it's nice to nice to have the Southerner back in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and I do sound different. It's very strange. It is. It's it's almost like you're from different countries. That's bizarre. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so we're back. We are, I think, mostly recovered from WWDC. Mostly. I I will say this. It's not what I plan to talk about today, but I feel like the last two years in San Jose, I have not gotten like as worn down as I have in San Francisco. I think because there's like no nightlife in San Jose, so it's like, mm. yeah, we're all just gonna like hang out at the hotel and then go to bed at 10 p.m. Uh, maybe we're just all getting older, but uh, I mean, yeah. either way, I'll take it. I, I tend to agree with you. Um, although I, I feel like this week was a little bit, or this past WWDC was a little crazier in some respects for me. Um, although I like, I think I was still getting sleep. It was just like the days themselves were so chaotic that I would go to sleep at like 9 PM and be completely tucked or tucked, tuckered, tuckered. Yeah. (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Still tuckered. So we're going to get to some WDC stuff, but first I saw you on the twitter.com website talking about the Logitech crayon and I am like for someone who doesn't use an Apple pencil, like I don't know where Apple pencil is to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> uh, I found myself really fascinated by this Logitech device. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your experience with it. And uh, I'm very curious about what you think the future of it could be. Yeah, absolutely. So Logitech, um, this is something that Apple announced in partnership with Logitech back in March, March, April, (laughs) during the Apple uh, education event, which apparently I can't remember months now because they go by so fast. Uh, And um, the crayon is a really interesting variation. You know, Logitech has partnered with Apple for a bunch of things iPad related, including some really great keyboard cases like the Create and some not so great keyboard cases, uh, which will remain nameless. Uh, But they also... Um, this is kind of their first foray into like making really like interesting styluses. And it actually has uh, what's really cool is this is something where Apple actually partnered with them. So it's it's Apple's pencil tech inside this this device. And it's basically designed to to be a sturdier, cheaper version of the Apple pencil with no removable flying away cap. So you don't have to worry about kids accidentally eating anything. Um, and it has a little bit less of the technology in it uh, in that. There are no, um, there's no pressure sensitivity, right? And on top of that, it is, um, it automatically pairs to your iPad. So there's no Bluetooth. Like, just, I was like, I was trying to find a word of like hum jiggery or something like that. There's no Bluetooth magic <laughs> happening behind the scenes. Um, yeah, my brain's off. Sorry, sorry, everybody listening today. Uh, yeah, so it it uh, when you just turn it on, um, and I will note, uh, very fun fun side note, uh, Renee and I first figured thought that the crayon was a dud because it wasn't working on our on our iPad, and then we realized the iPad was not on eleven point four, so it does need uh, iOS eleven point four or later okay. to to create hmm. this magic, um, and it only works with the sixth generation iPad. So unfortunately, currently iPad Pro users are out of luck because of again whatever magic is built under the hood between these two devices. Uh, But it means that you can turn Bluetooth off and still use the crayon uh, as long as it's powered on with the pencil. Um, It reminds me very similarly. um, 
the jot styluses had something very similar. Um, there are a couple of like powered styluses that don't have pressure sensitivity, but use the power to, you know, basically add a little bit more um, precision and control without necessarily having to connect via Bluetooth, which is pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, the, the crayon can be used on any sixth generation iPad. It's not paired or stuck to a specific iPad. And Renee and I even had some fun yesterday swapping between our various, our two sixth generation iPads and like I'd scribble on one and then I'd immediately go and scribble on the other, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, so it follows the, that quickly. Like it's, there's not a, a waiting period or is it? No, not at all, which wow. is pretty awesome. Like it just needs to be on, um, which is, which is very cool. It's very cool. Uh, and the, and here's the really cool thing about the crayon in general is that with the absence of pressure, it still acts and has the latency and the control of the Apple pencil. It even has the same or very similar Apple pencil tip. Uh, so when you're writing or drawing, it feels almost identical and we can put something in the show notes, um, of some of the sketches that Renee and I were doing, but you know, uh, it does have, uh, tilt sensitivity as well. So you can draw, you know, with no pressure, but when you tilt the crayon to the side, you still get that like nice little shading functionality that the pencil has, which is pretty, pretty awesome for the stuff that Apple really wants, like people using crayon and pencil for, um, the build is a little bit different than the pencil. The pencil of course is like this, this very cylindrical, uh, thing with magnets in it and very simple and clean. And the crayon really does look more like a Logitech device. It's definitely not an Apple device on the exterior. Um, it reminds me in terms of basic build a lot like 50, uh, studio 53's pencil, mm-hmm. um, where it's flat. Um, it's not, not so flat that, you know, you're just holding a rectangular structure in right. your hand, it's but it's not going to roll away easily either. Exactly. And it, it feels a lot like using like a, like a charcoal slab basically, right? Like you're just, uh, an angled, like an angled piece of charcoal to draw with, but it has a very fine tip because it has, as I said before, and a similar tip to the pencil. So, um, I think we said before it's, it's designed for kids in classrooms. Currently Logitech is only selling it through Apple's bulk classroom program. So you actually have to be a school administrator or have a school administrator account with Apple to order these things. Um, but I have heard, you know, kind of rumors of the fact that like, if there's enough demand from Logitech, uh, from customers to Logitech, and I'm pretty sure there will be, uh, we might see the crayon come to wide release in a couple months. Uh, and also, you know, making sure the bugs have gotten worked out and all of that. Um, in terms of drawing, I feel like it was again almost almost identical to the pencil. Like I miss pressure, and I definitely miss pressure in apps like Procreate, right? Um, anything where I want to do um, strong lines or not, um, it's a it's it feels weird after drawing it with the pencil. But it's so responsive, you know. I'm so I'm used to the pencil being great and all other styluses being terrible. And in contrast you know, picking up the crayon and starting to draw with it and expecting, oh, I'm going to have this lag. Oh, it's not going to draw fast enough. Oh, I'm not going to make clean lines. And then having it make just as nice lines as the pencil is a little, it's a, it's a little mind bending at first. Uh, but I, I think it's pretty cool. Honestly, I'm, I'm really excited that Apple is playing around a little bit more, both with connecting with third-party vendors to to make things that maybe they don't have the the time or the money to really invest in. Um, I mean, they have the money, obviously, but like the time to be like, yes, we want to make a cheap a cheap pencil. Um, instead, of licensing their technology and letting Logitech kind of run with it. Uh, it's a 
it's a really cool stylus option. It's one of the first stylus options that I'm like, yes, I would consider this instead of a pencil for someone who just wants to write, for example, right? Like no calligraphy, no sketching or third party or the, the like you want to write and occasionally doodle. This might be the better option. And it is only, I think it's $49 retail for school administrators. And the fact that you can switch between iPads is huge, right? Especially if you have kids and you have kids with multiple iPads, like, it's going to be so much easier than trying to deal with the pencil and it's, you know, okay, I have to plug it into pair and all that. And also I have to worry about the sticking out the side of the iPad and people breaking it off. I have to worry about the cap disappearing. The crayon doesn't have a cap. It just has kind of a little rubber thing that's stuck in on its end and you pull the rubber thing out. It's still attached to the pencil and there's just a female lightning port. So you just plug a regular old lightning cord into the pen, the crayon and it'll charge mm-hmm. like that. Um, it is a little bit clunkier than the pencil. I will say that it's definitely like build quality wise. It's a solid thing. It definitely will probably withstand to like people putting it in their mouths or dropping it as some children are want to do. Uh, but it just doesn't have the same elegance that the Apple pencil does. Yeah. And I mean, you can see why they made those changes for a school market, right? You can charge them in a cart with a bunch of lightning cables. They need to be more rugged. You don't want little pieces that can roll under a desk and be gone forever. But, like, honestly, I think consumers want most of those things, too. And if people don't care about the differences between the two, this could be a lower-cost option. And, of course, like you said, it only works with the, that sixth-generation iPad. So my feeling is if, if we're going to see this go wider, then maybe that's with the new uh, iPad Pros, you know, whenever they show up, say, this, this fall or later. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I still think the, you know... I think there's room for two devices. I think, you know, the pencil has the things that, that it does and that it's good at. And maybe they, they push those forward and make the gap in between the two devices a little bit bigger. But I think people who just want to, you know, sign PDFs or just mark up web pages for feedback, who aren't really needing some of the, the pressure sensitivity, some of the extra goodies that the pencil has, I could see this being a... a you know, a good option. Whether or not Apple wants that or not, I don't know. But I think, at least from where I sit, that it could be an interesting, uh, an interesting market if Apple had more than one device uh, for selling at stores. Yeah, I I agree completely. And also, just uh, you know, one of the great the great pros that the iPad has going for it, like one of the its its great advantages, is the fact that it's an excellent drawing tablet. Um, and I, you know, I, I spoke at length about why I was so excited that it came, the, the drawing ability came to the 9.7 inch low cost iPad. And I think it's going to open doors for a lot more people to learn to draw and continue to handwrite, work on calligraphy and things like that. And in my opinion, anything that lowers the barrier of entry to buy that kind of a thing, to buy a digital drawing tool is a great thing. Um, I, I really strongly believe that everybody should draw in their life, like whether or not you're good at it. It's just, it's, it's a really, it's just a really soothing skill to, to learn. Um, and that iPad makes it very, very easy to kind of experiment without necessarily needing to buy, you know, specific drawing for like drawing stuff, right? Like they don't have to buy $300 worth of pens and pencils and sketchbook supplies, they just get the iPad that they're already going to get. And now they have this, you know, $50 tool that can potentially do so many great things. 
So any like I'm fully on board with this. I really hope that Logitech um, pulls it outside of the education market and markets it to the general public later this year. I, I think it's really cool. And uh, it's really now there are two styluses that don't suck. Yeah, that's better than uh, better than one. Much. Cool. Well, uh, let's we're gonna talk a little bit about the uh, about the Mac. But first, I want to thank our first sponsor. This episode of Query is brought to you by Pingdom. If your website was down right now, if visitors couldn't access your content or couldn't click that all-important buy button, how would you know? The truth is you wouldn't know until it's too late, until they've left. And that's why you need Pingdom. They give you the peace of mind that you need when thinking about your website. Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down and whatever way is best for you. You can have push notifications from their mobile app, text messages, emails. If you're like me, you get more than one of those things if your website goes down. Uh, and they are dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website, it's, it's a breeze. All they need is the URL, and they take care of the rest. They start monitoring your site with 70 global test servers that emulate visits to the site, checking its availability as often as every one minute. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial. No credit card is required. And when you sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and letting me know if Relay.fm ever goes down. Which it does sometimes. Oh. Uh, so I want to talk about the Mac App Store. Uh, yeah. It was sort of in the middle of the section about uh, Mojave, and I just I find this whole thing really interesting. So I don't think we have to tread too much into the the backstory here, but the Mac App Store, I would say it's fair uh, to say that it is stagnant. It's um yes, I would agree with that. There's a lot of uh, big third party Mac developers who were there at the beginning who have left for various reasons, whether that be business reasons. Uh, or sandboxing, which we can talk about, or just uh, needing more control, and then they end up selling on their their own website because, of course, the Mac is a platform where you can go download an application from the internet and just run it. And unlike iOS, where you're locked to the App Store, and this has led the Mac App Store to just being sort of sort of feeling forgotten. There's there's not a lot of there's a lot of apps in there. Most of them aren't super high quality. Unfortunately, the big names aren't necessarily there. And Apple has not done a lot to to push it forward. You know, we saw the iOS App Store last year in iOS 11 get this huge overhaul. They're doing a lot of editorial content. And, like, I know I'm a nerd, but, like, there are times where I just, like, open up the App Store just to read about apps. Because I th- the, the work that team does at Apple, quite it's frankly, is, it's really impressive, right? Like, it's um, – they've hired a lot of, like – writers that we know from the tech scene uh, to do that stuff. And it's really, I think, paid off in the iOS app store. And what they announced for the Mac is that that mindset is coming to the Mac uh, in wrapped in a brand new Mac app store app. So the software updates are still there, but like system updates. So like your Mac OS updates and security updates are now back in system preferences where they belong. Um, and this is... Uh, a new store with a new design uh, with this editorial push. So they've done something pretty interesting, I think. They have the Discover tab where, uh, you know, there's editor picks and top paid and behind-the-scenes type articles. But then they've broken it down into into multiple categories. So you have create, work, 
play, and develop. And those are just broad categories for different types of app you could you know you could use uh, on the Mac. And honestly, like thinking about those four, I think they did a pretty good job picking four categories. Like I can't think of many apps that don't fall pretty cleanly into all those four. Yeah, yeah. And you can drill into those and um, you know and and create. They have things about like you know. Um, creative tools for like podcasting or image editing, that sort of stuff. You go into work and it's, and it's productivity apps and you go into develop and it's of course Xcode, but other developer focused tools. And I, I'm just, I'm excited about it because the Mac app store has been uh, such a dud for, for a long time. And uh, I was curious how, how you feel about it. And uh, maybe we could talk about why they're doing this now. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it makes sense from a why they're doing this now perspective and that the app store is in a really good place. You know, they've just launched custom curations so that you have kind of like a for you t- uh, style interface for your app store and not just like a big long list. Their editorial team is kind of off the ground. Um, and the Mac app store, I mean, I think they've been pleased to fix and or like improve the Mac app store for years Um, not just because their policies are pretty strict, um, but also just making the thing easier to use because the Mac app store, I mean, in comparison, I look at the, the new books redesign too, that happened with iOS 12, where I'm like, if you've ever tried to buy something from the books store in iOS 11, it's just like the, all these tiny little icons and it's impenetrable and you can't find a damn thing. And I felt the same way in the Mac app store where I was like, it's always, whenever I launch it, it's the same three apps at the top. And is there anything new in here? And is it even worth visiting? And most of the time I ended up saying, well, no, no, it's not. But what I think what's really interesting with this redesign is Apple's really putting the focus on not just here are some apps you can buy, but how you can best use these apps. You know, mm-hmm. the iOS app store does some of this with their how to's, but a lot of them are just like, look at all of these collections of really cool apps. Whereas uh, the Mac app store, it doesn't have to be daily, which I think is a huge benefit for it. Um, but it's really focusing on um, on like pro tips and how to's and really like building workflows for various projects uh, that you're doing, whether that's, you know, gaming, gaming tips, or whether you're working and you're like you said before, like trying to put together a podcast, trying to make your workflow a little bit uh, less chaotic, um, how, how to properly organize your desktop. Like these are, these are how to's and tips that you would find like on iMore or on another site. And it's really exciting that not only are they putting it into the app store like this, but they're putting it front and center. So like you said before about the iOS app store, this now becomes a destination if you're trying to learn more things. And all of those articles are searchable the same way that, uh, that the apps are searchable. And in fact, if an app has an article written about it, that it will show up in its app store page. So it's like if you, you know, you visit things three and you're looking at, you know, what's going on there. If you scroll all the way down, there's like a new featured in section and it'll actually show you all the how to's and potential like information that you can get on there. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's just like it just adds an extra level of interest to looking into this app because I know like I've definitely uh, I recently switched to using agenda um, for my note taking after like talking with the guys and like I really liked agenda on iOS and I'd never used it on the Mac. Um, And one of the things that was a little bit freaky at first is like agenda is a very powerful app, like note taking app if you want it to be an organizational app. Um, But it's also very simplistic and you really kind of have to dig to figure out all the stuff. And when you're already, you know, doing things on a regular, you know, 
you have your job on a regular basis, there's a huge barrier to entry in terms of switching programs or trying a new program. Cause you look at it and you say, uh, well, I don't like, I don't, do I really have the time to spend 48 hours to add, like to do this workflow or right. tweak this thing. And then you end up never using the app because you're just like, no, I'm, I'm fine doing a subpar job, trying to organize things in notes, even though it doesn't actually make sense. Uh, and so it's really nice to like, for someone to visit the app store and then say, oh, I'm con- I'm considering using Things 3 as a to-do list manager. Oh, there are four articles already written about Things 3. I can read these articles and see if this actually would be easy to set up for my workflow or if it would be like too too crazy. I don't know. I I think it's really cool. I think they're like even in beta right now, it looks really nice. They've done a really, really good job. Those categories, like I said, like you said, I think are excellent, kind of cover the basics and allow allow it to be broken up enough so that you can actually see what's going on, which is, I think, the, the first and foremost issue. I think another big reason is that iOS apps are coming to the Mac uh, sometime next year. Uh, you know, Apple said yeah. that's a, a little ways away still, but those are going to be in the App Store. And if I, I think a big part of whether those things are going to be successful or not has to do with the store that they're in. And so Apple wants to have the Mac App Store sort of uh, back up and ru- and running uh, with this new direction and new layout, a new editorial uh, team, and have that kind of firing in all cylinders for when the, you know what Apple's hoping a huge influx of apps coming to the Mac will be. And I think that makes a ton of sense because that's where – iOS users are are used to going for software, and I think even though the Mac will always retain the ability to download software from other places, it, the Mac App Store needs to be uh, trusted and like valued by users again uh, if this sort of marzipan-type app is going to be successful in the future. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, so I think uh, I think that's all we've got on on the Mac App Store. You know, I think it's kind of something that we're going to watch and see if this works. Um, they have a couple of those big third party developers have announced uh, coming back. Both uh, BB Edit and Transmit got stage time during the keynote, yeah. um, saying, "Hey, they're coming back." And uh, those developers had left for you know various reasons. And so I'm hoping that that Apple has uh, sort of righted the ship when it comes to the Mac App Store. I, I trust that they have. Yeah, I'm really excited, honestly, and I'm. I think one of the other the challenges that the Mac App Store has had is that you know Apple has been very serious about privacy for a long time, um, and the Mac was built in a time before the internet, before things got you know could get really sketchy really fast. Um, so where it whereas it made perfect sense to have apps be able to you know access root and like do things to your Mac uh, in you know the mid 90s and even early 2000s. Uh, it's a lot more dangerous of a of a option in the in the modern era. And I see Apple like, you know, the App Store very early on kind of made waves because one of in the developer guidelines was basically a like you can't ask a, a user to request root access like you can't. Sorry, you can't get root access through the Mac App Store uh, because we don't trust that people are going to use it correctly. And that's why we have sandboxing, right? It's like sandboxing basically goes through this this central gatekeeper to do certain things so that you can't, you know, that can't get messed up. Right. But what I appreciate that the security team, you know, is clearly thinking about is like apps like BB Edit and Transmit need root access. Like they really, they need root access to function. So Apple has clearly figured out some way 
of um, improving the, the store for everyone and figuring out a way to offer sandboxing entitlements for, for all users going forward and all apps going forward um, that allow them to talk to root without necessarily mm-hmm. bypassing sandboxing. And it's like, I can't imagine that that was a, an easy process to go through uh, on their part, because I, I feel like there's a lot of complications involved in just sandboxing in general, but it's awesome that like, it's clear that Apple has been thinking about these things and is thinking about these things uh, and is trying to make the Mac App Store the better way to buy software, not only as a consumer, but also make it a better place to sell apps. All right. This episode of Query is brought to you by Away. Away is a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers, and they've made smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't have to cost more than your plane ticket. And what do you need most while you're traveling? more battery. We've all been in that situation. And when you buy an away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel. Both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge a phone five times from a single charge. Go to awaytravel.com slash query and browse away suitcases featuring premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, but still lightweight. Choose from over 10 colors and five sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium-large, or the kids' carry-on for the smaller travelers among us. They cut out the middleman so you can get first-class luggage at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're like me and you're an overpacker, along with four 360-degree spinner wheels to make whisking through the airport easier than ever. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while still maximizing the amount you can pack, and they have TSA combination locks built right in. They also feature a removable washable laundry bag so you can separate your clean clothes from your worn ones. I just was in San Jose for WBDC. I flew uh, with my Away suitcase, and it really is great. Like I said, I'm an overpacker, and you can cram stuff in there and use that compression system to keep things nice and neat. And then once you're at your hotel, your Airbnb... Shake out that laundry bag, and when you get home, you don't have to think, did I wear that T-shirt? Did I wear those jeans? You know for sure what's clean and what's dirty. Uh, I'm heading to Europe a little bit later this summer, and I'll be traveling with it yet again. Away believe in the quality of their products. They offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix or replace it for life. They also have a 100-day trial with a no-questions-asked return policy. So if you travel with it and it's not for you, uh, they'll take care of it. With free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the U.S., it really is a great deal. Travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone. To find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com query and use the code query at checkout and you get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com query and the code query for 20 bucks off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. You ready for the speed run, Steven? Yes. Got one for you. Alex writes into us, what is the best way to run the Mac OS Mojave beta? That is a uh, great question. You can, of course, if you're feeling risky, just install it right over your High Sierra install. But if you want to be a little more careful about it, which I think you should at this point, uh, I like doing it on an external SSD. You can partition your drive and disk utility, and then you have like basically two OSs on your on your internal drive and you can boot between them. But when it's time to come off the beta, then you've got to deal with taking two partitions back into one. And 
That's just a lot of overhead. And so for me, if you can swing it, I really like using an external SSD. The one I like is the Samsung uh, T3 or T5 line. Uh, the T5 is a little bit newer. And you can pick up like a 250 gig uh, model for like a hundred bucks, and they're they're really small, and they're uh, they use USB three uh, and USB C. It actually comes with both cables in the box. And so if you have a USB C Mac, you can use that. Or if you're like me and have an older laptop, you can just use the regular USB three cable. And it's super small, and convenient, and they they run cool. They're not gonna get hot. And uh, I've got a bunch of these running around now, and that's how I have Mojave running on my MacBook Pro, just on that external SSD. And it's been, uh, it's worked out really well so far. I've been happy with it. Yeah, I tend to, I tend to agree. Um, partitioning is not the hardest thing in the world, but if you have an S external SSD lying around, it's really nice. And especially if they're tiny, um, you can really just throw them in a bag and just go. Oh yeah. I've been carrying mine, uh, with me, like in my backpack. Cause it's just so, it's just so small and light, way, way lighter than a external like two and a half inch hard drive I mean, this thing is really oh my small. god yeah well and also you don't have to worry about the dreaded like click, click, yeah, click, yeah. Click, yeah they're, click. They're, they're robust <laughs> yeah thank goodness rybar r-y-b-r-r -R -R. i'm just gonna go with rybar uh writes on rybar rybar yeah <laughs> rybar is cold rice cold uh, i've mm -hmm. been getting a lot of spam phone calls to my cell phone lately me too uh, and they often mm -hmm. use caller id to spoof looking like a number in my local area. Do you have any recommendations for apps to deal with this? Oh God, I hate this so much. Uh, and I feel like it's just gotten worse and worse on cellular lines. There are some really good apps that essentially go into your contacts and like add a bunch of contacts, um, that show up as spam, which is pretty nice. Um, there are a couple of different services. The ones that I've tested is Nomo Robo and RoboKiller. Mm -hmm. Um, both of them are pretty good. Although I think both of them at this point require a subscription service to keep that happening. Have you used Nomo Robo? I do. That's what I use. And yeah, there's a subscription to it. It's not very much, uh, I'm trying to find what it is as a talk, but for me, it was worth it. It's really cut down on things I get. Yeah. It's a dollar 99 a month. What's clever about this and the other ones do this too, but this is the one I'm most familiar with is that if you get a robo call, you can submit it to Nomo Robo. So it gets like sucked into their big database. The problem that the, the question is about those is a little tricky because I've actually had this happen to me where it looks like a local phone number. I actually got a phone call like two weeks ago and I picked it up. It was from out of town. I didn't know who it was, but I picked it up. And it was a woman saying that she was getting spam phone calls that were looking like my phone number. Uh, and I called, I called my cell company. They're like, yeah, we can't really do anything about that, which was... Not super helpful. So with any of these, you may run the risk that you block somebody, porn it. I have mindset where it just it um, basically where they just don't or they they show up on the call screen that it thinks it's mm -hmm. spam. Uh, many of these apps, you can just send them straight to voicemail. You can just block the number outright. So I went with a softer approach. But honestly, I don't think I've had any false positives. So um, no system yeah, is perfect, but. I feel like it's gotten pretty good. And especially because Apple now has, you know, it built into the system. It's a kind of extension, right? It's a call blocking extension. So it's not just hijacking or trying to get access to your contacts when it doesn't need them. Um, it actually, you know, all these apps are integrated with Apple's phone app, which is pretty cool and, and very useful. Uh, when it comes down to it, honestly, my, my policy is kind of like, if you can't afford to spend on a subscription for this, or it's just something where you're like, oh, I don't know if it happens often enough. Um, there's nothing wrong with letting things go to voicemail. 
And if someone actually wants to talk to you, chances are they will leave a voice message. Yep. A voice message. <laughs> I do that to people I know. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. leave me voicemail. So yeah, uh, uh, Noma Robo gets my vote. Eric wants to know, what's the top thing you are dreading to find out with the new screen time <laughs> app? Steven? Mine is just the sheer number of times I wake up my iPhone. You know, like I know we all know we spend too much time on Twitter and Instagram, but I'm afraid of knowing how many times I pick up my phone. I just don't want to know. Uh, I will whenever I guess I get around to running iOS 12. But Are that you not number... running it yet? No, not yet. Um, not yet. I'll get to it. Uh, I think You're being I, smart. I, not I, beta. iOS, I generally do the public beta and usually not even the first one. Um, but I'll put it on my phone, you know, at some point during the public beta process. I've not put it on my iPad just because the iPad update seems uh, less than exciting this year. It's just kind of maintenance <laughs> stuff. And I just haven't done it. So I can't get worked up about it. But I'll check it out on the phone at some point soon. Yeah, that's fair. For me, I think that pickups are probably pretty scary. But I'm also a little concerned about my notifications. Like I'm, mm. I am beta uh, and opening up. I'm like, oh, I've, I've already had 124 notifications that came through today. Oh, boy. Good times. That number will be interesting. I have um, I have very few apps that I allow to actually like send a notification to my lock screen. I've got some that just um, just really just a few that I can just like they can badge, you know, but mm-hmm. like I don't have any notifications for Twitter or any social network, any Instagram or anything. It's, you know, it's iMessage and Slack Slack direct messages and like mail VIPs. And that's really about it. And uh, I think even as tightly controlled as I have my notification set up, I still, (laughs) I still think that number is going to be higher than I want it to be. I also have it very tightly controlled and I have the same problem. Um, yeah, I'm like, great. This is awesome. This is awesome. uh, I will report back when I install it and, and see how I feel about things. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Query. Thank you for listening. You can find show notes this week at relay.fm slash query slash 33. If you want to submit a question, just send a tweet out to the universe with the hashtag AskQuery, and we have these little robots that go around and gather them for us, and uh, we'll get it in the show. In the meantime, you can find Serenity on Twitter as Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and you can find her writing and illustration and much more over at imore.com. You can find me on Twitter's ISMH and I write 512pixels.net. Until our next episode, Serenity, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.